Hey, g'day guys, and welcome to Talking to Trailblazers with Jack Corbett in association with Business News Australia. Today, we are very, very excited to bring some trailblazers that are on an absolute tear in the activewear and fashion space based out of Melbourne. We want to welcome Mr. Simon and Mrs. Yetta Rawadi. How are you guys doing today? Hey, thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. No problem. Thank you for putting aside your time. I've got to start off by asking, you're in Melbourne. We, unless you live under a rock, we all have some form of news or social media at our disposal. And the world would lead us to believe that you guys are basically living in home prisons at the moment. Uh, look, it, it's, all, it's all correct. It's the one time everything in the media is absolutely true. And, uh, there is no exaggeration. <laughs> we, uh, we're surviving, mate. We are, we're doing okay. We're, we're, you know, we've, we've got our routines to keep our mental state sharp and keep us going. Uh, our business, thankfully, is, um, you know, uh, uh, this is a catalyst event for our business as well as the brands that we look after. So we're on the opposite end to what, unfortunately, a lot of people are feeling right now in the in the state where they've had to close. Um, we've had to expand and deal with growth. So we cannot complain at all. Amazing. So personally, the home prison can have some challenges, you know, with with the inability to maybe get outdoors or exercise or socialize. But from a professional level, um, this last six months and and the global pandemic we've been in the middle of has actually been a catalyst for growth for your business. Absolutely. I, 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 you know, mentally and from a personal perspective, I, you know, we're struggling. Um, I, it's so difficult not to be outside. For me personally, I'm a, I'm an extrovert. I need to be amongst people. Like I need to, I need to hang out with people. I need to talk to people. I talk way too much. You'll probably find. Um, uh, yeah, there is the same. Yeah. Yeah. For me, I think, um, I think just, I guess some, sometimes, you know, on the days where it's not sunny, especially in Melbourne, mm. I think they're probably the most challenging ones. I feel like when you've got a good day, at least you can kind of, you know, that that one hour that you're allowed outside is is really nice. And then we're lucky we do live in a in a big home, so we have a backyard and lots of space. We don't have to like sit in a room together all day. Mm. That would be hard. <laughs> um, so I think yeah, we're we're okay. We're kind of, we're making it work. Um, seeing kind of the positives in it, it kind of gives you a a, a good chance to refresh as well and um, you're really grateful for the times where you can get out you know when previous to this whole situation you took for granted yeah appreciate you appreciate it so much more mm. And appreciate um, the things that you would otherwise previously have procrastinated or put off, you know, like I know t- a typical entrepreneur is a six, six and a half day, sometimes seven day a week worker. Uh-huh. And often for me, I was very selfish on the only day I chose to take off, which was my Sundays. I could be very selfish with my time. I didn't want to go to a family event or I didn't want to go to something that maybe didn't truly fulfill me. But instead now I've taken the fulfillment out of the time and the share of the experience with the people I love, regardless of what the activity or action actually is itself, you know? So um, yeah, I think there's a lot of gratitude that will come out of the back end of this and more respect and appreciation for things that maybe we took for granted a little bit six or 12 months ago. There's so many learnings to come out of this and we're, we're journaling, you know, I'm journaling probably twice a day at the moment, AM and PM. And and I bring you the whole world changes between, <laughs> uh, but just, just, you know, really, really being present and being aware of that gratitude, because it's going to be so when things go back to normal, it's, 
it's important not to forget what's happening right now and, and, you know, have time for family and things. And Yetta and I are one of those people who seven days a week is our thing. Um, you know, really big hours, really big days, and we constantly do it. And the first lockdown helped us start going for little walks. Yeah. This lockdown's helped us really uh, be a bit more appreciative of the time that we have here and, and, you know, being a bit more in touch with the world and our family and nature and all the things that we I guess all the reasons why you start a business, but you, then you start getting into the nitty gritty of working in the business and, and the growth and, and the growth like and keeping up with it over. all. You forget why you got into it in the first place was to have a bit of freedom and a bit of time for yourself. Yeah. Amazing. Well, I didn't actually want to start on this subject, but we're here. So I might as well, well ask my question now, which is then <laughs> if I was to then go back and say, okay, let's pretend uh, the global pandemic is over today. They found a cure. It's been distributed to every human being on earth. And it's technically January 2020 again. Um, hopefully we don't have those same bushfires that we did. Uh, uh, yeah. Let's pretend, you know, it's January 2020 again. In, you know, retrospect, what was the biggest mistake you had made in under-preparation or planning prior to this that you might be more pandemic prepared next time and then flipping that on its head what has been the biggest win you know you said your business is experiencing growth talk into that a little bit for me how has that happened and what platform does that create for us moving forward i feel like um I have to think about what we would do differently. So I'm going to think about that while I answer the other question. I, I feel as though, um, you know, something that the pandemic really brought was pe- people were home, people were engaging so much more on social media, on online platform, on online stores, you know, people, people needed something to pass their time and to get kind of that feel good factor of, well, I'm home, kind of everything around me is not, not that great. So online shopping is one of those beautiful things where that parcel is delivered to your door and it kind of gives you that instant mood boost. So we really found that when COVID hit and the lockdown started, we probably had two weeks where we were like, everyone oh, panicked. Yeah. Everyone's panicking. Yeah. And we kind of had just come off the back of Chinese New Year. So um, what that means is we don't get any samples until Chinese New Year is over. And then basically China got hit with COVID. So that got extended. And then as soon as they did start sending samples out, we got hit with it. So it was just um, you know, timing wise, it was, there was kind of like a sample drought for a while. Um, and then when people started receiving, like when our customers started receiving them, there, it was kind of, you know, the first couple of weeks was a little bit, everyone was a little bit unsure, but all of our customers saw that their online sales just really started ramping up. Like people, people, they were skyrocketing people were having record breaking every single one of our, influencer brands were their sales were going through the roof and and we're talking about sellouts within minutes Mm. of products um like unheard of i think simon and i were we were watching one of the one of the launches and i think it was something crazy like an item sold out in in six minutes or something like that It, Mm. it was crazy so it really um what that meant for us is that our clients we're quickly seeing that it, this was actually growing, um, you know, their online sales were growing. And so the need for more stock was growing and, and in 
in return, our, our business was growing because we were fulfilling those. Yeah, we orders. had to get or continue orders. So, so for us, we're, we're in a really unique position in the sense that we've always been set up for online e-commerce product-based businesses, particularly in athleisure brand. That's what we do. Um, and our businesses from day one work with clients all over the world where, you know, we're working with brands in uh, originally it was 12 different countries. It's probably more like 18 countries now. Um, so we've already had the tools and the, and the experience of working virtually. Mm-hmm. Um, we were also in a unique position where our, where our business was probably affected first and foremost, because we have a manufacturing network in China. Um, and, the, and in China, they were affected obviously by COVID first, they went into lockdown first. Um, and so we started preparing for that and had, had to deal with that pandemic uh, we were probably one of the first people in Australia to respond to it because we were dealing with it from December, January. China, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then when it hit our Australian shores, we were like, okay, cool. Well, we know, we kind of know what we're going to do. What we don't know is, are we going to, uh, is our business going to go to shit or, and everyone's going to pull all the orders or what's going to happen. And, and towards the end of, um, Feb, we had a horrible, horrible March. Our business dropped significantly, um, in March. Um, and that was quite evident, um, for two things, for two reasons, because of the delays that Yetta mentioned and, and because of the um, uh, COVID panic and Chinese New Year. Um, but April was a record month. Um, May beat April. June was insane. Um, and not just for us, but for all of our clients. So we saw some of like- the collective. We're just month on month at the moment in what should tr- typically be a time when you're just treading water, trying to keep yourselves alive. Yeah. You're it's, actually having the biggest and best months your company's experienced. You, you, you're eight years into this, guys, correct? We are. You have you've got going? This is our fifth year at Slyletica. Um, and for the prior three years, we had our own brand. So it's eight years within the industry, mm-hmm. um, but five years for this business. And, so, yeah. Yeah, correct. And, and, you know, this, all this has done for us and our business and our customers is actually just fast forward with where the world was going. Uh, retail, retail's been hurting for a long time and, and COVID has been a catalyst for that to go in the wrong direction in, in the, in the negative direction and the decline, but it's been declining. And so it's just been, it's just exaggerated everything that was going to happen anyway. And online has now, it's just brought on a whole new consumer, you know, an older demographic or people who never previously yeah, people online are, now have to buy online. And they're learning how as well that, you know, people are making their online stores better so that so that a demographic who weren't normally, you know, purchasing there, who really did need to go into stores and try things on mm-hmm. and now have the ability to, to really like, you know, great exchange policies, return policies and, you know, videos and things like that are really helping people have the ability to do it. Um, I know even, you know, even my mum's given it a crack and that was, that was <laughs> yeah. hard. You're speaking to an online shopping first timer here on this conversation today. I, I had never, ever, my wife had ordered me a thing or two offline you know but um i'd had one experience back in the uk as a 18 year old boy with a a website called asos asos great great website don't get me wrong i have a i'm quite a unique body shape i'm nearly six foot four but i wear a medium sized t-shirt and 36 inch legs i'm basically just got legs that start from my armpits right (laughs) almost everything i ever try on yeah very very rarely do i find something that fits well you know yeah. so online shopping to me was just a minefield of disappointment 
Yeah, it's so hard. I feel you. I feel you. And I was the same. And to be honest with you, most blokes are the same. They like going to a store, they get a t-shirt that they find and they like, and they buy it in every yeah. color and we're done for the couple of months. That's you know? it. Try it on. Usually it comes from, they do two for 25 at my local yeah, store. That's it. Yeah, they'll that's go and buy the black, the white, the gray, and the blue. And that, 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 that'll do you for six I'm months. Done. I'm a hundred, you know, I'm the exact same. Uh, I literally, we donate the clothing. Uh, I literally donate my entire wardrobe and I go and I just buy every color shirt of the shirt that I like and I'm done for the next six months and off we go and I can't do that anymore and and there is so this is literally what we're talking about is like we have to buy online so and now I'm comfortable buying online I've I've got the Farfetch app now which is incredible and I and I'm literally just shopping online because I'm starting to get used to it and I I think part of it like um, Yetta had said is the fact that I now know that most places my delivery is free most places are going to allow me to return for free a lot of places have got a greater visibility online, a greater range of sizes and availability online. So I definitely think the legacy that will be left behind this is a confidence that people have in doing business a different way. You know, like myself, I my 80% of my week is spent helping people to use their self, uh, to set up a self-managed superannuation fund and use their super to buy an investment property. Yep. Now, prior to February, of my customers would never sign legal documentation or make a half a million dollar decision if they'd never met me Mm -hmm. for for obvious reasons. Yeah. Now I've got 70 year old women telling, asking me if I know what Zoom is. (laughs) <laughs> you know, and yeah. say, well, there's no need for you to come to my home in Gippsland. We can yeah. use Zoom. Just come to Zoom. You know, or, or Microsoft Teams or things like this. And it's just become people's new normal. Absolutely. My mum is a teacher and, you know, God bless her. She is not a technology, um, <laughs> uh, let's, let's just say she's, she's not very well versed in tech. And so, you know, my dad is okay as well. Um, but the same thing, not, it's not their forte and they're all, they, you know, they, they messaged me saying, Hey, you want to jump on house party so we can all see you and can we use zoom? We had, we had our little girl's birth, second year uh, birthday last week and, and we had a family zoom, zoom party, party um, and every, everybody was on it. It's incredible. I mean, obviously uh, we have quite a big family and, and they're all, uh, we have an interesting background in terms of ethnicity, so I can't say anybody got a word in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was yeah. as loud as the bloody wedding, but honestly, yeah. Um, yeah, it was, it was, it is, it's brought, it's brought about comf- comfortability with, with getting online for people who weren't previously comfortable with it. I agree. Can I ask you with your surname, could I take a stab in the dark and say it might be Middle Eastern or Lebanese background? It is exactly. So my, my uh, mum and dad are both Lebanese. Okay. Um, and, uh, and I'm Russian. Wow. Okay. Yeah. All right. We're an interesting mix. <laughs> Way too much. Especially because, uh, although I understand there's, there's Russia is such a diverse country, but immediately your mind, when you think Eastern European, you think that fair skinned, you know, blonde haired, blue eyed. Whereas when you think of somebody from the Middle East, you think of that olive skin, you know, darker pigment, um, dark hair, dark eyes, dark features, you know, yeah. so it will be interesting to see as they grow up, your children what sort of side of the bloodline they tend oh. to take their dominance from? Yeah. I mean, I like to think that I have um, olive skin, yeah. but <laughs> I, definitely, I definitely don't have blonde hair. It's brown. <laughs> and 
Yeah, we, we actually have a really, I like to say we have a really similar colouring, but that would be a lie, but our yeah. hair is a similar colour. Uh, uh, you, you, you described me spot on. You just need to then add basically my features and then add a, a, a much fairer light skin. Let's yes. bring Casper into the conversation over here and, and then you will have a really fair description of my life. Yeah, were both of you born here in Australia, though, or were either of you born overseas? I was born in Russia. I was, I was born here, and um, I had an amazing opportunity. My parents um, uh, um, essentially told us we were going back for a holiday, and uh, I got the incredible opportunity when I was about nine years old to live in Lebanon for three years um, before we came back here. Yes, as I hope everything I know, it's only been recently with that big explosion in Beirut. I hope that didn't have any... Obviously, it had a negative impact on the city, but hopefully no one in your close proximity was um, was affected by that too much. No, thankfully, um, we're really blessed in my, you know, I immediately touched base with our family. Um, there is obviously a major crisis there. And, and part of what me and Yetta do in something that's so important to us is to give back. And we're currently obviously looking after my close family over there. Um, it's quite it's quite a negative situation with the explosion with COVID, but also just the whole government situation. And without getting too political, they, they you know stop paying pension. Um, the military, we've got some families in the military there are not really being paid. So so we're just trying to help as much as we can, and thankfully they're all safe and alive. Yeah, I put things into perspective and and how or even though we've got an 8 p.m. curfew over here, I can pop over and get food, no problems. And that's really important for us over yeah. here. And we're really lucky to be here. I sometimes think that the value in life is extracted or can, is usually measured in accordance with who you're comparing yourself to. Mm. Like I, I went on a trip when I sold my business in February 2014, and I went to a lot of places in America and, and obviously many parts of the States are big and bold and brash and, you know, everything's about the true air of capitalism, you know, the American dream of having anything in the world you want if you work hard enough for it. Hmm. Um, but then I went and did Central America and I went through places, say, like uh, Haiti or the Dominican Republic. And yeah. within the space of just two weeks, I'd gone from having the goal of being a billionaire <laughs> to having the goal of giving $1 to a billion people. Yes. You know, and it's like, it's just amazing how we can so quickly forget how privileged we are. So yeah. true. For me, yeah, I, I had exactly a very similar situation. I was in Dubai with some best friends um, about four years ago, actually probably about six, seven years ago now. You know, we had fast cars, we had some Ferraris, some Lamborghinis, and then I popped over to say hello to the family in Lebanon. And, uh, you know, as this very similar situation, I went from going, hey, you know, uh, I want to be the you know, next Jeff Bezos who's yeah, just on 200 yeah. billion yeah. Um, to, hey, you know, I just want to be able to give back to family. And then I actually, over the last four to five years, I've realized that they're not mutually exclusive. They don't no, need one can actually other. really fuel the other. They need to fuel each other. And if you had a billion dollars, you would have a bill, you would have $1 to give to a billion people. Um, if you don't have a billion dollars, then you can't give a dollar to a billion people. So poverty uh, will never solve poverty. Correct. That's, that's right. And so we, we are all for being successful. Um, we absolutely don't feel bad about making money and having a successful business. And we don't feel bad about making sure our customers are the same, but we also ensure ethical manufacturing standards. We ensure the people in our factories are getting paid more and it, it shits us when people ask for a discount on their goods because 
sure, man, like I can, I can drop your price by two, $3, but you asked me for sustainable and ethical manufacturing. So mm-hmm. if you want me to do that, that, that two, $3 is going to come out of someone's pocket. Yeah. And it's not going to be the factory owner's pocket. I'll probably cop it a little bit, not a problem, but the factory is going to make the work. One or two things are going to pay the worker less, or they're going to make them work faster. Um, yeah. And we don't want that to happen. So we're trying to educate our brands and the people who come to us and the people who work with us, what's going on in the fashion industry. We, we're not fast fashion, but also we're not slow fashion. We're somewhere in the middle and that's what it's going to be. That's, 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 that's where it's going to be at. And, um, you know, those type of things are what the values of Slyletica have been built on from day one. It's, it's been able to give back, but be successful and make sure everybody wins along the way. So you get a good, you know, the factory's winning, we're winning, the brand's winning and the end consumer is winning because at the end of the day, they still want value for money and they still want a high quality product. So, you know, we're we're trying to, we're trying to have that formula, which is a very difficult juggling game, but that's what we, what's the industry we play in on a data basis. For sure. I'd say it gets tougher for you because you're sitting in, uh, I guess a second wholesale space, right? Like you're kind of a bridge wholesaler. Um, in the fact, still, We're yeah. yeah, still has to be manufactured by somebody, still has to be retailed by my influencer or by the business. And I've got to sit somewhere in the middle making a, a profitable business without extorting the factory or eliminating the margin for, for the, um, yeah. you know, right. for the agency themselves. So I can, I can respect the difficulty. I mean, for me, White labeling was traditionally a technology thing. It was an IT thing, right? You make software, you white label it, you give it to an accounting firm, and now they can offer it to their customers and it is purported as though it's their own technology, right? That's, yeah. that's, that's what I understood the white labeling space to be. Yeah. But obviously, we've seen this resurgence of influencer marketing in general, social media-based influencer marketing. I have a friend who has started his own uh, watch company, right? They're not, they're not the most advanced technological or expensive watches in the world. They'd be very similar to uh, something like a Daniel Wellington, right? Mm-hmm. As an example. <clears throat> and they're able to, to, to take their own brands. I will give them a quick shout out for anybody looking for a, a new affordable um, fashion watch. They're Able & Co. Um, but all of a sudden now, they are going and disrupting the Hilfigers and the Armanis and the likes in this in this couple of hundred dollar watch space. Yeah. Um, without really needing to have any manufacturing experience to do it. So talk into a little bit, where did this industry come from? Um, How have you put yourselves at one of the pinnacles of it? And more importantly, where do you see it going in the future? White labeling in the, um, you know, in in the fashion space. Yeah, I think um, we don't really white label. Um, For for us, we custom make everything. Mm. Um, So, You'll, the, I think what's what's actually given us the success that we have is that we really do allow our influencer to take the creative director's seat and mm-hmm. come up with their vision and we make it happen. So mm-hmm. it doesn't matter how crazy the idea is. It doesn't matter how absolutely not possible (laughs) it may seem to do um there's always a way and we have a super experienced team we make sure that we hire really um specialists in their field so that we have the ability to deliver these products on behalf of our influencers so all customers sorry so for us you know 
it, it, it's so bespoke. Our fits are bespoke. Um, you know, we, we, let's say we might work to Australian standard sizing or American standard sizing, depending on where they are, but they're the way it shapes the body, the way it looks on the body, the colors they use, we custom dye our fabrics. We specifically source our fabrics for our customers. So there's not a lot of off the shelf white labeling that we do. It's actually what's made us successful. So you're absolutely right in the sense that white labeling is something that's expanded massively. You've got drop shipping, you've got a million different niches and lifestyles in this sort of overall entrepreneurial lifestyle space, let's call it Instagram has really driven. Um, what we've done is say, okay, great. Anybody, anybody can go and pretty much have some basic tools and get a product, slap together a website and sell a brand and products online. That's easy. That's, that's probably the easy part. It's when you want to turn that into a scalable business that stands on its own two feet. It's when you need to have a fulfillment center. You need to have a team that manages and runs your e-commerce website. You need to have somebody who picks and packs your garments. You need to have a warehouse space. You need to have staff. Then you have, then it's when you need to, actually make sure you're ticking the ethical and sustainable manufacturing boxes because how do you know who's making your goods if you haven't gone there and visited them or if you haven't done the for, right for order drop shipping or yeah wow, wow. this is so powerful to listen to it's it's so far beyond the assistance in the creation of a product, isn't it? No, we are building brands and that's why we're successful because we're not pretending like it's not anybody can go there and, and put together a website and bring products to the market. We get that people can do that. What we're saying is that... The start line of the race and the end line of the race are two completely different things. I think anybody can get to the starter's gun. It's how many of you are still there at the checkered flag. Yeah, and I think, and I think every, I think there's every element of the of the business that we offer because we are end to end. Every element, if you if you take it as an isolated, I guess, element, it's really not that hard. Everyone can probably find a website developer, a three PL, uh, a, a factory in China. It's it's the the recipe and the method to put it all together. When to know when to launch, how to speak to your customers, you know, even even having um that out like for example an an influencer always has an out they know their customers are going to buy off them but there's actually it's more to it than just posting a product thinking that people are going to buy it there's a method into the into the lead up and everything like that before we launch that making sure your customer experience is right and then actually just collecting and being able to retarget those customers because eventually your influence on that brand after a year or two is going to start fading away because the brand needs to stand on its own two feet. And sure, people who've bought from you now follow the brand. How do you find more than those people? How do you also build the brand, but also your own influential base? And we work with influencers and entrepreneurs. Um, we do both, um, but they need to be the right entrepreneurs um, and they need to be actually the right influencers as well. So we have a very unique application process for people coming on board and working with us. Amazing. No, I like it. And ultimately for you guys, I guess, maybe on day one, you weren't in the position. And I think this is a good learning curve for any younger people or early stage entrepreneurs that are listening is that in the very early stages of business, you can't really turn away customers, right? Cash is king. Oh my gosh, no. Oh, no. We were like everybody, <laughs> In the beginning, please. everyone, everyone is, you know, we'll make it work. Um, I think, you know, we we uh, we were really fortunate um, and, you know, we're super grateful for this, but we were really fortunate 
um, recently in the last few months, probably more than in the last six months, I'd say we were inundated with um, inbound inquiries. We, we, I think we were having 500. It's, it's kind of at the point where everyone's like, oh, you're an overnight success. And it's like, you forget the, 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 the hard yards and all the yeah. work we've done to get there. But this year we went from essentially having about 500 inquiries a month to having about 500 inquiries a week. Um, yeah. And we do not want to launch that many brands. Um, no. Most definitely not. Um, Again, because you, you could give 1% of yourself to 100 people right. you know, and, and maybe fail with most of them because you never truly saw it through to completion or be selective. Pick the 30 to 50 people that you think are truly going to bulldoze their way through this because they have the right attitude, aptitude, you know, morals and ethics and disciplines to succeed and and double and triple down on those people. So yeah, I think be accepting the first year or two guys, future entrepreneurs, you, you, you can't choose your customer. Your customer you need customers at the start. You don't have a business if you don't have customers. And you can't, you can't be like, oh, I'm going to work with only this person who only does this and only pays me this. You need to learn and you don't have all the answers at the start. And five years ago, we literally picked up the phone. We were dialing gyms. Gyms were our, our niche. Gyms were our target market. Um, yeah. And we would call gym owners and say, Hey, who makes your clothing? Uh, let us do it. We'll do it better. We'll do it faster. We'll do it cheaper. We'll do yeah. it for free. Just let it work with us on your first order. Let me show you what we can do. We even just did like fitness expos yeah. where we just, anyone who kind of came up and, and wanted to start a, a, like our minimums used to be 30, 30 units. Because, and <laughs> you know, like literally make a t-shirt. We make 30 custom. What, what are you guys at now? About 500 to a thousand minimum run? And no, we're at 150 is our minimum run, but we're more like our order value has it. We have a minimum. You can't start a brand if you launch one legging in 150. <laughs> you need a collection. Yeah. You need multiple items. You need at least six, um, ideally in multiple colorways. So you're kind of thinking 40K, 50K for a collection Ideally, um, sure we can do it less. We can do we can do twenty k. Um, but if you're going to come to us and say I want to start a brand on, on one pair of leggings, we're not the people for you. We're going to put in so many resources. It takes us, you know, twelve to eighteen months sometimes to bring a brand to a marketplace. Um, I'd, on average, it's about nine months. But we want to put in the resources to make you a success, and that's not going to happen if you've only got two months to launch your label. No, completely yeah. understand that for sure. And I think obviously I know. Uh, speaking from a first-hand perspective, I have not worn a suit and tie or put on a pair of like formal trousers since February. Um, I am loving life in a pair of jogging bottoms, you know, a pair of shorts, in a sports shirt, in a a hoodie, in a jacket. And um, yeah, I've gone from wearing active wear in every moment I'm not working to wearing active wear from the first moment I wake up to the last moment I go to bed because it's what I am most comfortable in, right? Yeah. So I can understand why there's been a little tear, but talk, talking a little bit for me that number one, I, I figured out now that I've been working from home for the last six months that my wife has a shopping problem. <laughs> I learned the same, mate. Although I think I've, I've known I've known you for twelve years, so I've yeah. <laughs> so, oh, had a shopping problem. Nothing yeah. new. Because I'm working from home, I'm, I'm getting the ding-dong at the front <laughs> gate and then there's a delivery and then there's another delivery and then there's another delivery. And um, yeah. so I've come yeah. to realize the volume. But I also had questioned 
how is she doing this without me knowing? Because we have, you know, like many married couples, we share finances. We have the same bank account. So she sees everything I spend, but she seems to buy things and I don't see it. And then I thought, well, there might be a reason that my afterpay shares that I bought at $8.90 are now at 90 bucks or why my zippo shares I bought at $2 are now at $10. Mm. Um, How is that industry I guess let's call it the BNPL, the buy now, pay later industry, um, not to shortchange anybody that's doing it a little bit differently, but that's what I know it as. But buy now, pay later. How, how is that industry changing the entire landscape of, of not only retail shopping in its entirety, but, but especially in the online space? Massively, absolutely massively. And sorry if you can hear the uh, doorbell in our background because it's FedEx at the front you just, door. You just got a delivery, that's your wife. Yeah, actually, literally got a delivery. <laughs> you couldn't have sure signed she, that better. I'm making sure she leaves it at the door. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so so um, it, it's massively. It, it counts to about, we're seeing about 25% of uh, all of the brands that we work with, all of their sales are coming from Afterpay. So that's significant when you start thinking about, you know, it's a, it, our brands collectively do a significant amount of money on a monthly basis, probably, you know, eight, eight to $12 million. So 25% of that is coming through Afterpay. It's huge. It's absolutely massive. Um, and it's the, it's the old sort of lay-by just reinvented, isn't it? Um, or reimagined, I should say. So it's, it's, if you do not have a Afterpay service or something similar on your website, you are losing 25% of your revenue um, in sales. You, you, it will increase your sales by 20, at least 25%. So um, it's a must, it's a must have, and it's only gonna keep going. Um, it's only gonna keep growing. Um, you've got the huge, the, the luxury labels that are starting to get amongst this now. And with everything, um, with everything uh, turning into uh, and almost an Instagram inspiration, uh, you know, you've got the younger generation coming through. Like my younger cousin knows all about Louis Vuitton and Gucci and all of these brands that I had no idea about. I had absolutely no idea about before when I was, when I was, you know, 17, 18. So he's going to try and after pay those type of things so he can buy these brands. And so if it's a huge, um, Probably two things. It's if you're a retailer or you're an entrepreneur and you're looking to sell online, you need to have these services available to your customers. And if you're a consumer, you need to be careful that you're not going nuts and just buying stuff that you can't actually afford. Um, so it's a twofold, I guess, like everything else. Yeah, no, complete. I mean, look, we're we're a consumer generation that's lived on credit, right? We have the highest consumer credit debt per capita or second to any country in the world. Only America has more consumer credit debt than the than Australians. Yeah. We love to consume. We don't particularly care if we can afford it as long as we want it enough. Yeah. Um, the centre of Sydney, Melbourne or the Gold Coast will show you that very, very quickly. You know, we're, we've always spent next year's paycheck this year. But when I look at people like Nick Molnar, I am a massive fanboy, right? I've never been somebody who has a jealousy of other people's successes. I have an envy. Don't get me wrong. I am envious of their success because, of course, I would love to achieve it also, right? But I think that's very natural. Um, but I think this country, worse than any I've ever been to, and I've been fortunate enough to work in five of the six continents, has a real tall poppy syndrome. We love to vilify our most successful people. So Nick right now is, yep, he is the Bezos, he is the Gates, you know, he is the jobs of Australia as we speak, you know. The man is going to, he has the the next unicorn, he is going to be worth a billion dollars 
by 2023, 2024, right? So that's, that's kudos to him, an amazing thing. But do you know the second that that man is caught having an argument with his partner, you know, driving, a, a speeding, uh, maybe driving the night after an enjoyable evening with friends where he blows into the extremely low range. Yeah. Um, and whilst I'm not, please don't think I'm trying to justify these things. I'm not saying they're okay, but I'd like to see a, uh, an honest, you know, alcohol consuming Australian man that hasn't had a or woman that hasn't had a couple and then jumped in their car at eight o'clock the next morning to go to a meeting, Do you know, like that's, that happens. So the second that happens, we are going to try to vilify this gentleman. Yeah. Without a doubt. It's, oh, it's actually, oh, it's so it's, 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 look, I, I always get in trouble when I voice my opinions on these things because it is a massive hatred for me um, to see somebody who's successful and who's done well being hated on, which it doesn't happen in other countries. In fact, if you're in the U S they are going to put you on Yes. Yeah. They yes. are going to celebrate you. And I'm not, I, 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 we are, I'm constantly afraid of posting about our success because, so because of the hate and the, just the assumptions that come out yeah. of this insanity. We live in a bit of an outrage culture online at the moment. Um, and so everything is outrageous. This man is, you know, Jeff Bezos today was announced at $200 billion. Yeah. That's, yeah outrageous to people and sure that is an outrageous amount of money i understand but this guy he has created something incredible he's employing you know hundreds of thousands if not millions of people yes. uh, what you, why why are we upset by that like why is it because we can't achieve it for me i feel as though we need to as australians start celebrating success and we need to be really proud of the people that and the entrepreneurs that are coming out of Australia, like like the guys that are at Atlassian, the guys, yeah. that, you know, we should be proud of those people. Hogan, another good example. Yeah, oh, my God, he's killed it. He's nailed it, hasn't he? I mean, absolutely nailed it. Turned that black into something that's incredible again. I actually see more... Um, positive articles written about some of the most successful entrepreneurs in this country from overseas media than I do from our own. We and, love to hate. It's yeah, and it's like, why are we shaming success? And I, and I couldn't agree with you more. I don't have social media. I don't use it at all. Mm. And a big part of that for me on the day I, I canceled it all was I came off of the TV program Shark Tank, which was already a big thing for me. I'm a very private person. I don't like to be in the public eye. I struggle with sharing my story because it is one of adversity. It is one that's a bit colorful with some bad decisions made along the road that I'm not extremely proud of, you know? And I stood in front of, on Channel 10, with 1.1 million viewers, and I put myself, the, the raw and true vulnerability of my position for all to see. Yeah. And then I'm getting people on Twitter, I'm getting people on YouTube saying, what an arrogant twat. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, I just <laughs> everything there about myself put was as humble and honest and grounded and real as I possibly could be. And now I have random Eric in his basement in deciding that I'm an arrogant twat. <laughs> the thing is that, and the problem with it is, is that it, 
it really starts to play on the mind of successful people a little bit, particularly as they're growing through the success. I think once they're there, they learn not to give a shit and not to give a fuck. But whilst you're growing and you're learning and, and these things are happening to you, when you're turning into an entrepreneur and you're slowly becoming successful, it does play on your mind. It really, it really did with me. I don't give a fuck now. And, and I'm slowly starting to go, Hey, I'm going to celebrate my success. I'm going to share my stories. I'm going to, I'm going to post about the materialistic shit that I like to buy as yeah. well as the giving back that I like to go, to do. Wow. And That's we need to celebrate it. And more important, above and beyond celebrating successful people, we need to celebrate women in Australia, because yeah. to be honest with you, this whole business wouldn't exist if it wasn't for Yetta. I mean, yeah. she is actually the real entrepreneur. And I actually put up a post a long time ago, a couple of months ago about it, calling her out as the person who is the driving force behind this business. Yes. And more, more recently, not just women, but women of color, we have an incredible head of marketing person in our business who, who literally backs herself into a corner and makes sure this brand succeeds, make sure we are constantly innovating. She is the driving force behind this business. In fact, our whole management team is female. I'm the only male in our management team. Wow. And you must be a patient gentleman. Mate, I, <laughs> I have no opinion at all in my own business anymore <laughs> because, <laughs> because I'm, I'm surrounded by powful, intelligent women yes. um, regardless of their colors. Lucky you. <laughs> and, and I couldn't agree more. We have a boys, there's a boys club at the upper echelons of the ASX 200. It is heavily congested with middle-aged white men. And yeah. there's, there's no two ways about that. So I think shining light upon that is really important. I, although she's not a woman of color, I'm a huge fan of Tamika Smith. Um, she is just making noise in the construction space and saying, no, building high rises or mid rises or houses is not just a man's game. Why can't I be a structural engineer? Why can't I be a builder? It shouldn't even be a question. It shouldn't even be a bloody question. Like because I've got blonde hair and blue eyes and I'm, and I'm, and I'm attractive means that I can, I can only do this line of work. I can't hold a drill, you know? So it's lovely to see those people breaking the standards. And for me, I mean, obviously, again, it's topical, right? We're in a process where my favorite sport is basketball. I'm a sports nut in general. But yesterday, the basketball got um, postponed because all teams decided that in the face of the actions that were happening in America, the brutality of the police in America, that they were not going to give the entertainment to the general public because they needed to stand up for what they believe in. And I love that. Yes. But I grew up in one of the most ethnically diverse cities in my country, which is Birmingham in the UK. Yeah. And... I believe we are closer than ever to getting to a point where whether your name is Mustafa, whether your, your name is Joseph, you know, or Jack, you yep. can be tall or short, fat or thin, black or white, orange or yellow, male or female, you know, Hindi, Catholic, Muslim. Talent is talent. That's right. Talent is talent. And believe in that talent, back it, build a structure, a system or a business around it that you are truly passionate about. And I, and I believe now more than ever, you have a platform from which any normal, and I mean normal in the most polite way, but any normal person can be successful in 2020 if they find a method with which to apply themselves. A hundred percent. It is, we constantly say it's the way of the future and it's actually, it just needs to be the way of today. And if you are not that person, you are going to miss out. And if you don't see it, if you can't see how everything is changing in that direction, you are going to lose and, and you will not be around as a business or as somebody that anybody gives a shit about because yep. that's the way it needs to be. And that's the way everything is going. And your business first and foremost should 
embody those values and there should be no room for racism whatsoever. Yetta and I both were bullied in high school. Mm. We've both grown up with racist remarks constantly about, you know, being wogs or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. And, and we, we get it like, you know, bringing, bringing fucking cabbage rolls to, to, to lunch. <laughs> to lunch yeah. Yeah. It. It's, like, uh, it makes, it makes you a little bit different to the other kids with their hamburgers. I was, I was eating cabbage rolls with yogurt. I get that, you know, they're, they're calling it cat food and I'm like, mate, this is my favorite food. Um, I, I get my favorite, my favorite lunch. Yeah. I get it. But now, but now you now we charge 50 bucks for it on a plate. <laughs> you know, so, so I get, I get where it comes from. I just think it's time that we move on. That we all moved on. Yeah. It's enough. I mean, yeah. I, I've experienced yeah. many of those things firsthand, you know, like my, my two best friends growing up, one was a uh, mixed race South African and the other one was black Ghanaian. And I have experienced firsthand being stopped by the police and being told to leave whilst they manhandle my two black friends. No, I've witnessed that firsthand, you know, so um, let's get, let's jump onto my final no question, because I could talk to you two until the, the mm-hmm. sun came. Right, I, uh, start, up, I, I have, <laughs> Yes, now just one more question, and it stays on the idea of diversity, but as opposed to diversity in skill sets, races, sexes, ages, it's more so, so now diversity in your product or service offering as a business, because my research showed me that you guys are either are or were partway through a process um, in a USA expansion at the back end of last year. I don't know whether COVID has had an impact on that, an LA office that was on its way, but also I'm seeing that you guys are right on the cusp over the coming six months of also expanding, not necessarily <coughs> the Sly Letica brand, but your overall brand offering in its entirety to go into the personal care, skincare, makeup um, space. So I still have the belief that the most successful businesses in the world, many of them do one thing and they do it incredibly well. They do it better than anybody else in the world. And instead of being a mile wide and an inch deep, you know, the jack of all trades, master of none, they just do something and they're known for it, you know? Mm-hmm. Whereas if I then look at some of my favorite shops to go into, I mean, I love Kmart, right? Because what can't you buy in Kmart? Um, An Aldi store where you go in to buy a a tin of beans, but you end up walking out with, you know, a four pack of wrenches or Or a television (laughs) instead. So my final question to you guys, and for the advice you could offer somebody else, where does diversity meet dilution? When are you over diversifying, ultimately diluting your core brand? What's your opinion on that? I think um, it's really important to understand what is it that your business actually is. I think for us, we've we've been evolving um, and really understanding what it is that we do that's so amazing. What it, what is it that makes us who we are? Mm-hmm. And I think you know a lot of people maybe in in the beginning may have confused it with you know we we um, we manufacture activewear. And sure, if that's how you keep it, that when you start adding little bits and pieces on, it starts diluting it. But we we realize that we're way more than that. And what it is that we do the best in the world is we build and and manage brands product product based online businesses so So it's your story right like it's the story so i think i think the easiest way to answer this question is that you have to have one story you can't have multiple stories so but you can have multiple brands doing the same story 
So we, we, our story is that we power and build online product-based businesses. That's what we do. We happen to do it in the athleisure space right now because five years ago, eight years ago, actually, we had our own activewear brand. Um, and, and five, and then obviously we, we built that brand and, and now we build brands for other people in the same space. Um, for, for us, basically turning it into beauty or self-care or other lifestyle products is not a dilution for us. It, it is another, another product essentially mm. offering that we're, that we feel as though we're still offering within, within what it is that we do so well. Correct. And so what we're, what we're planning on doing is Slyletica will remain our athleisure division. Um, and we're going to transition into Sly Group. Um, so the Sly Group will have a athleisure division, a lifestyle division, a self-care division, and we will be able to then have product teams individually in each of those divisions, specialists in those individual fields. But it's the same story. If we were going to then uh, decide to say, hey, you know, we're going to um, open a gym. Hey, that's a different story altogether. We don't know how to do that. That's no. not the same story. That's got nothing to do with what we do. You understand, but helping somebody to take, um, like I know my wife, and, and it's it's something I'll talk to you about offline later, but my wife would love to start her own online product-based store for pregnancy clothing. She thinks there is just a, a massive... Um, or a minimal selection in this country of high-quality pregnancy clothing, right? right. So yep. I know that's something she would love to do. Mm-hmm. So. But that's her story. Her story comes from four years of infertility, doing IVF, you know, blah, 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 blah. So your story is we build brands. You know, their story can align ultimately to the brand that, that you're building with them. Yeah. So it takes time to develop your story. I think when we started off with, we, we weren't building brands, we were making clothing. Um, that's where we started. And we developed into building brands and we spent years and years and years uh, not necessarily pivoting our business, expanding our business to include and, and continue to add the things that our customers were asking us for. We constantly get got asked, could you help us with our website? We can't find somebody who understands what we're trying to do. And we're like, hey, you know, we have our own website team that looks after our own site. Maybe, maybe they can help. And then that turned into, hey, yeah, we can build you a website. So it develops, your story develops, but your your from day one story and your day seven story will start that they, they, there will be some commonalities between them, but they, they won't be the same. Um, and our, our story is, and it takes, I think five to eight years to get it right. Um, we're lucky in that point where we we've, we've spent that, that about that time now really understanding our brand and our business. And we know what our story is and we know what to get into. We know what to say no to. Yeah. Like, yeah, I think I when we, when we first, yeah, when we first started the brand, I think we always knew that we wanted to do more than just make clothing. We, we really understood that there were so many problems with starting a brand and sure making you know communicating with China and making a really high quality product was probably the hardest problem to solve Mm. we always knew that we wanted to help people end to end and that's what has evolved over the last five years like we always knew what it is that that the bigger picture would look like we just kind of had to start somewhere and then evolve it and Mm. I think that's that's how we've grown we've kept our story the whole way through that's how we've known what to say yes and no to because along the way heaps of little opportunities have obviously come up and it they're obviously really exciting and you do want to kind of jump into them but you realize that if, if you're not sticking to what it is that your overall vision for the brand always was, 
um, then that can that's what can start diluting the brand. Yeah, I'll give you an example. We get we, I, my background is from property development and sales before I went into fashion and online. Mm-hmm. And um, this is you know we're talking ten years ago. And throughout my journey in building this brand, I, I constantly had people in from that property development and sales industry reach out and say, hey, "I want to do this in property. I want to do this." And and to start off with, I was like, "Yeah, let's do that. I can do that. I can get your property business online." I actually can't. I'm not. I, I, it's not my story now. And it's now when it comes across the table and comes across our desk, we say, "Hey, no." Like it's it is important to say no. Um, Probably the most powerful skill an entrepreneur develops, if only we as entrepreneurs that are in year seven, eight, nine, ten, or greater, mm. could could actually drum that into somebody in year one. You say no, you will make more money. How That's many right. times? For me, eighty percent of your leads become zero dollars revenue. Twenty percent of your customers will create eighty percent plus of the revenue that you generate, and if you knew how to say no sooner or stop trying to jam that square peg into a round hole stop changing your entire business operation to accommodate this one customer who's possibly only going to transact with you once anyway do you know it's like yeah. it's, it's so easy to say when you're on the outside looking back at yourself but yeah. if, only, if only we'd have known those things a little earlier in the journey it's right quite interesting there's mixed there's mixed messages isn't there because i was literally i just got i just finished listening to a podcast um with roxy jasenko mm-hmm. and mark boris and and she's like say yes to everything and i think i think where this confusion is 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 you really need to understand your story say yes to everything that is with that is inside your story yes. and say no to shit that doesn't belong in your life um, and say no to things that are outside of your story. And I feel, I hope that's, that's my two cents. That's what Yetta feels yeah. like too. Yeah. As entrepreneurs, you're creative and you want to say yes to everything. You believe you have a solution for everything. Yeah. Um, like Richard Branson, screw it, just do it. Oprah Winfrey, yeah. the 10 second rule. She says, if you can't find a reason in 10 seconds not to do something, then just say yes and then figure it out as you go. So I agree that you can't say, we can't say no to everything because then we are recluse. We are avoiding opportunity, but I think more importantly, understand your upper and lower level control limits, build parameters with which you are happy to function inside and anything that does fall inside those parameters, sink your teeth into it and give it a go. But anything that doesn't have the confidence to say, Hey, that's not actually my journey. That's not my message. It's not my story. It's not my scope, you know? And sometimes I, when you deal with the crazies, I always say, not my monkeys, not my circus. You know, if they're not your monkeys, stop thinking that you can conduct that circus. Yeah. Yeah. I think that just one, probably one more thing is that, you know, hindsight is such a beautiful thing. And, you know, we've made so many mistakes along the way. We have said yes to the wrong things and, you know, we're we're in year five and now we've learned (laughs) and Mm. we're like, okay, cool. So we don't do that anymore. And this is what we say no to, and this is what we say yes to. And, you know, for for people starting up and, and, you know, in their first few years, it's, it's, just be okay with the fact that you might not know everything now and you will soon and it'll come to you with time and with experience. Like you really do need to experience things firsthand and make mistakes firsthand, get out of them. And then, you know, that that's when you'll learn all of these things of when to say yes, no, what is my business? Do I want to do this? And, and things like that. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. 
Absolutely. Well, guys, thank you so much for just a fraction short of an hour um, of your time. Um, I think that there is not only an incredible business that is built around the right ethics and morals, it's designed to ultimately help every part of the process. You know, it's rare we can create a win-win-win-win environment where all four individuals, the original sort of warehouse, the manufacturer, if you will, China, yourselves, the brands that you're building and the customers they're selling products to can all come out of this experience um, profitably and beneficially um, is something that's just beautiful to see. And um, whilst there is so much tall poppy syndrome, as we've discussed, I hope that the rest of Australia gets behind you, gets behind your family, gets behind your message um, and the business. And I certainly know that from this conversation today, you have one more inquiry heading your way, which will be from, from my wife. But um, for anybody else like my wife that wishes to see whether they are the type of person you would support in the development of a brand, how do they get in touch with Slyletica? So just pop over to our website, slyladica.com. Um, we are at obviously capacity, so we're taking applications um, for people. And we look we look to bring on about two new brands, not more than that per month um, in amongst the, you know, thousands of applications we receive. So, you know, please bear with us while we work through those. And we're really looking for people who understand how they're going to achieve what they're trying to achieve or understand how they're going to sell products. Obviously we can help them do that, but they're the driving force. They're the creative director. They are the CEO and we're, we're looking for the right people who yeah. understand that um, to get to help them get there. Amazing. Well guys, make sure you jump on slyletica.com on behalf of myself, Jack Corbett, um, Simon and Yetta Rawadi. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen into this podcast and um, we look forward to seeing you all again next week. You take care. Love, love being here. Thank you so much. Thank you also. You have a blessed day. Take care. All the best. Bye now. Bye bye.